it goes back to trust, you see. So how will we enable manufacturers to share data and collaborate with each other in ways that they don't currently do? BSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on digital manufacturing. We'll need to create things like data trusts frameworks so these companies can enter into agreements with each other. Um, We also need the technical solutions to enable them uh, to only share the data that they're happy to share with. And and we also need um, to understand the new business models that will underpin the ways that these data trust frameworks will work on and the standards will describe that world. Hello and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs and I am with Cindy Parakil. How are you doing, Cindy? Getting down to brass tacks. Nice. And you? Trying to hit the nail on the head. Sharp. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And in this episode, we are taking a little dip into digital manufacturing with our guest, Ben Sheridan, the voice you heard at the top of the episode. Yes, Ben is BSI Head of Sector for Digital Manufacturing. Ben tells us some of its history and where it's being used most effectively now, such as 3D printing. Yes, and he also tells us about how standards are being used in digital manufacturing, such as PAS 1040, which can help organisations to increase the pace of adoption of digital technologies in their manufacturing operations. We also have a little debate with Ben about what is meant by the term digital manufacturing and its relationship to other terms, such as Industry 4.0 and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And we even discuss what it all means for Ben's bathroom fittings. We do indeed. So, Cindy, this this term, fourth industrial revolution, I suppose for completeness, we should probably clear up what is meant by those that came before it. We should. So here's a little bit of industrial history with Matthew and Cindy. The Industrial Revolution was a transition to new manufacturing processes in Britain, continental Europe and the United States in the period from about 1760 to sometime between 1820 and 1840. Textiles was the dominant industry of the Industrial Revolution. And in a nice personal touch, Ben tells us about a personal family connection to the first Industrial Revolution and the Lancashire cotton mills. Yes, and stretching my mind back to school history, all of that started with Arkwright's spinning jenny, arguably the first industrial machine. Now, the second industrial revolution, also known as the technological revolution, was a phase of rapid standardisation and industrialisation between 1870 and 1914. The third industrial revolution, or digital revolution, began in the late 1900s and is characterized by the spread of automation through the use of electronics and computers and the invention of the internet. The current fourth industrial revolution is marked by personal connected devices, data analytics and the internet of things. This is the age when lines are being blurred between physical, digital and biological. But it doesn't end there. Now, it's said the fifth industrial revolution will be when artificial intelligence, humans and machines will dance together. Oh, I like that. (laughs) And the sixth, well, that will be about nanotechnology, biotechnology and quantum computing. Okay. And the seventh, that will be about replicating machines at a molecular level. 
Mm, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Matthew. <laughs> That's true. Now, as well as our chat with Ben, we have our standards desk of news with some stories on standards and artificial intelligence. And BSI client manager Amanda Woodhead tells us why ISO 27001 on information security management is her my favourite standard. Now, we've had a lot of BSI colleagues sharing their My Favourite Standards, and obviously we love them all dearly, but we do want to mix it up too. So if you want to tell us your My Favourite Standard, then get in touch. You can email us at education at bsigroup.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at Standard Show, and now on Instagram too. Isn't that right, Cindy? Yes, absolutely. So go on, follow us at The Standard Show. You can find all of these in the show notes. And don't forget, do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wondered how standards are made? Or who gets to make them? Or why standards are numbered the way they are? Maybe you have a burning question about standards related to your job. Or maybe you're just plain curious about something to do with standards. Well, this is your chance to ask The Standard Show and get your questions answered in our latest of our press conference episodes. All you need to do is record your question via voice memo and send it to education at bsigroup.com and we'll do the rest. Go on, ask us anything about standards. So, in this episode, we are looking at digital manufacturing with Ben Sheridan. In this first part, we speak to Ben about some of the history of digital manufacturing, why it's important, and the role of standards. But we start with definitions. So, Ben, can you clear something up for us? Fourth Industrial Revolution, Industry 4.0, digital manufacturing, digital transformation, are they all the same thing? Well... Some of them are the same thing, uh, but one of those terms is different to the others. I'll start with that one. So digital transformation is really any kind of uh, change in your business or your operations or your enterprise, which is enabled through uh, some kind of digital innovation. So, for example, back in the 1990s, uh, Tesco brought in its club card and it changed its entire business model centered around the data uh, of how customers uh, use their data, uh, well, what their shopping patterns were and things like that, uh, in order to really add value to their own business. So digital transformation can apply anywhere. But those other things, fourth industrial revolution, industry 4.0, digital manufacturing, are really the same thing. And that is where you start to um, apply these clever digital technologies that exist in order to gain some kind of advantage to your business. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I just think with that in mind, then, what should we be using here? Is it, of those three, that if it's the same thing, which one is your which one's your preference, I suppose? My preference for shorthand is digital manufacturing, but not everybody agrees. Uh, people think that that's quite a narrow thing. It's just related to production, but, but it's not. It, what we're talking about here is, is the full uh, value chain within manufacturing. It starts at design. Um, it's... It goes through to production, uh, supply chains, and end-of-life issues as well. So just as long as we bear in mind it's quite a holistic um, set of activities we're talking about, we can use digital manufacturing uh, between friends. <laughs> I just wonder then, do we start, is there, a, is there a linear process here? Do we start with the fourth industrial revolution, which then sort of was settled down as Industry 4.0, and now it's become digital manufacturing? It started with, um, now I'm going to embarrass myself here because I, I don't speak German. 
Oh, but um, Cindy does, so I that's do. okay. Brilliant. So um, it started uh, probably about six, seven years ago um, when Siemens, Bosch, the German government and BMW, and the German automotive industry particularly, uh, started talking about something which uh, is Industry 4.0. Um, but industry in German doesn't mean industry, it means production. Mm. Um, so it was really talking about production, um, four point, the fourth industrial revolution is what they were talking about. Um, and this fourth industrial revolution was is being driven by all these um, technologies that have arisen probably over the last 20, 30 years and have changed our lives in so many ways and now are likely to change the way that, that we design and manufacture things as well. That's really interesting, Ben. So um, before we go any further, though, um, we're very curious about what your standards journey is. When and how did it start for you and where are you now? If I'm honest, um, I wouldn't say standards as such are embedded in in, in my being. Um, if you look at where I grew up, uh, I grew up in a town called Oldham, which was uh, the right at the heart of the first industrial revolution and the entire town exists because once upon a time it produced more cotton uh, than just about any other um, place in in the world including europe it it produced more cotton than europe itself Um, and indeed the house that we that i grew up in and that my mum and dad still live in the back garden was the site of the local mill pond Um, so all the water that used to flow into that mill pond now flows under the garden, bizarrely. Oh, wow. So it's kind of <laughs> so the entire fabric of where I grew up was based on this industrial revolution, and I was always fascinated by how um, it came about and uh, and how these towns arose that manufactured loads of things and created loads of wealth, and nobody could really explain why. And also with that, um, my own family history before that um they came over from ireland to work in the cotton mills uh, and of course ireland had all its issues with uh, the potato famine and things like that so i always think uh, that there's some kind of link between uh, the irish potato famine and the industrial revolution and th- there's a fantastic phd project to be done there which I'd, I'd be delighted if somebody did. But anyway. What a beautiful story. <laughs> and when did story. standards enter the equation? Exactly. Well, that started really. Um, I went to university. Um, I did a couple of degrees in physics, bizarrely, because mm-hmm. um, um, I, I thought that was a good thing to do. And my first job was designing transistors and semiconductors and things like that, and which I was actually quite good at. But I got, got a bit bored. I was always more interested in the bigger picture in the wider story in how all these things fit together um, and then um, ended up coming down to work at the National Physical Laboratory in Teddington where I uh, uh, started to manage research programs I, I worked on the science and development strategy there um, really quite interested in in how things piece together and how you grow things mm-hmm. and how you can create wealth from science and manufacturing and, and, and those kind of things. About three years into that, um, somebody at BSI was talking to um, some of my contacts at the Department of Trade and Industry and Government, as it was called then, saying, we really want to get into this innovation space, this emerging technology space that I was working in. Um, and somebody at the DTI said, you need to speak to this young lad from MPL. 
who uh, was really quite good at these things, they said. So I ended up being uh, uh, seconded to BSI two days a week, paid for by the Department of Trade and Industry to help uh, BSI in its early stages of trying to grasp with how it should uh, approach uh, the role of standards in emerging technologies and that kind of thing. So um, I did that, and then after a while, I ended up working here uh, full-time, and I've worked here ever since. Um, ben, you've you've clarified uh, some terms for us there. So we've sort of this episode is all about the role of, of digital manufacturing. So could you sort of tell us, you know, why is it so important? You know, why should we care about it? Well, on one hand, um, companies can be interested in in applying digital manufacturing technologies uh, to their enterprise, often for incremental improvements. Uh, for incremental innovation, that kind of thing. So you can um, perhaps put some sensors on your production line or you can get things out in supply chain. So you can get a few percentage points increase or in your productivity or something like that. So on one hand, it can do that, but th- there's also quite a potentially relatively revolutionary aspect to it as well. If, if you can get much better um, data on, on what your own... Uh, collaborators are doing and and what you are doing yourself you can start to collaborate and share data in ways that you haven't previously done so and if you can do that you you can do things which at some point you're going to have to do anyway such as um, contribute to net zero carbon emissions for example that's a massive issue Um, that requires companies to collaborate and share data in ways that they currently aren't doing and they don't really have the ability to do so. But at some point, they're going to have to do that. Um, So if they could really have a much better sight of their own operations, much better data to share with others, uh, much better agreements on how those data are used, and a much more democratic way of making decisions so that carbon emissions can be reduced. I really... Then that is quite revolutionary. Sorry, no, I was just um, coming in there saying, I really like that point that you were making about, you know, getting better data to make more informed decisions. Mm. Um, Could you give us a brief history about digital manufacturing? Um, Where did it start and where are we now in and in which industries is it being applied? Okay, so um, it's different in every industry you can think of. I would say it started probably in 1961 when the first industrial robot was put into a General Motors line uh, somewhere in the States. And, of course, robots are something which um, are quite an obvious example of what, of how um, a uh, clever digital technology uh, can be used to improve productivity. Um, fast forward, say, to the 80s, um, you, had, you start to see the emergence of product lifecycle management um solutions which are basically software which enables you to see um uh, and manage everything all the information that relates to your product throughout its life cycle from uh, design through to production through to end of life um and more recently um you start to see uh companies start to use digital twins to optimize um the uh, the new uh factory layouts and things like that you start to see um them start to use digital technologies to look at the supply chains and to uh, move more quickly and to, to adapt to things and stuff like that. Um, so you're also seeing things 
rise up like additive manufacturing and 3D printing, which adds value in very different ways. That enables you to do very small quantities of high-value products in ways that you wouldn't have been able to do before. So there's lots of different technologies that are coming together to form this area now that are adding value in lots of different ways. And in terms of um, standards, Ben, I mean, what role do standards play in digital manufacturing? I wonder if you've got a sort of three or four practical and everyday examples you, you can talk about for us. Yeah, so a big issue um, with uh, the role of digital uh, in, in this area is trust. Um, a lot of the companies uh, don't necessarily trust the, the solutions that are coming out at the moment. So the role of standards is really to build up that trust in the marketplace for digital technologies uh, in manufacturing. So one area that we are looking at is um, health and safety of core bots within a factory. Now, a core bot is a collaborative robot. These are those machines that can live and work amongst us um, and, and do quite useful things. Cobots? Uh, are there, is that a new... T- I've never heard of that. Too. A cobot? <laughs> you live Wars, and right? live and work amongst us. That live and work. Have you seen Star Wars? Uh, yeah, I have seen Star Wars. Yeah. Did you know the mouse droid? The mouse droid. Look it up. It's mouse droid. That is an example of a core bot. It does things within the Death Star as it flies around and uh, and, and does those things. Um, one day you will take a look at that, and your listeners will, I'm sure, will understand what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> But, big but, sci-fi we've got a big sci-fi community out, out there i'm sure you enjoy have. that and but the big issue with these things is companies that try and adopt these go to the health and safety executive because what they need to do is comply with the machinery directive and say how do we demonstrate to you that the deployment of this core bot is safe and the health and safety executive find it very difficult to be able to give them useful advice or or to be able to sign that off. So, so you end up in a situation where the core bot doesn't actually get to interact with people as it's meant to do. Um, but let's bear in mind the standards that apply to the machinery directive are published by BSI and uh, as SEND standards. Um, so what we are looking at doing is really using clever um, software techniques such as natural language processing to dig in so all the existing uh, good practice that exists um, both in those standards and elsewhere to try and come up with the good practice that enables these companies to demonstrate that the deployment of core bots is safe. So that's quite an interesting use of standards um, to, to enable the safe deployment of, of technologies like core bots. Um, another example um, is in the area of asset management. Now, you can imagine uh, an aircraft or a boat or a car or something like that is quite a high-value asset, and you want to, A, maintain it and use it correctly, but increasingly, you're going to want to change its specification over time as you learn. So, for example, if you think you want to make a more fuel-efficient um, aircraft and you learn how to do that, 10 years into its life cycle, you're going to want to uh, change its design in some way and update it in some way. In order to do that, you need to really manage that asset really well. And things like ISO 55000, which is the global international asset management standard, will be really useful to enable you to do that. It will enable you to keep hold um, and manage your asset properly. And lastly, um, I'd like to give a big shout out to Past 1040. Past 1040 
um, really appeals to those uh, small to medium-sized manufacturers who find it really hard to know where to start on to the journey um, of adopting digital technologies. These things are big investments. These things, if they go wrong, could shut your business down. Um, so, so they really need to think carefully about how to do that. Past 1040 enables them to do that by enabling them, A, to judge where they are um, in terms of their own digital readiness to adopt digital technologies, and then gives them an idea of where they need to get to in order to achieve their business ambitions using digital technologies. And it's quite a useful way of doing that. It's, a, it's the first step on a journey to adopting digital for manufacturers. And that's why I think PAS 1040 is great. And Ben, tell us a bit more about that. When was, when was PAS 1040 developed? And what, what, was the, what were the drivers behind that? Um, well, it was pu- published about probably just over two years ago. And, and the big driver was this. SME manufacturers are actually quite sceptical um, about funding, not about funding, about investing unnecessarily uh, in technologies that don't work. If you ever talk to uh, the management of an SME manufacturer, you'll be very struck by um, the, the nature. They don't suffer fools gladly. <laughs> they don't take risks with their business that, 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 that they don't need to. Um, I remember talking to the MD of a West Midlands SME manufacturer, and he said to, uh, to me, the problem I have with the term Industry 4.0 is that every time I hear it, somebody's trying to sell me something, and it's always something I don't want. So, so, so this person really needs help to go down the path um, of adopting those technologies. And so, so, so that's where it started. So what we ended up doing was working with uh, Innovate UK to develop that. And we went out and, and spoke to quite a few SME manufacturers. And we came up with this guidance that should enable them uh, to do that with a lot more confidence. Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Program can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. We'll pick up the rest of our conversation with Ben later. But for now, Cindy, it's that time in the episode. Shall we have the standards desk of news? Yep, let's do it. New UK initiative to shape global standards for artificial intelligence. The Alan Turing Institute, supported by BSI and the National Physical Laboratory, will pilot a new UK government initiative on shaping global technical standards for artificial intelligence. The AI Standards Hub aims to create practical tools for businesses, bring the UK's AI community together through a new online platform, and develop educational materials to help organisations develop and benefit from global standards. 
In 2020, UK businesses spent around £63 billion on AI technology and AI-related labour, and this is expected to reach more than £200 billion by 2040. And sticking with AI... To help organise and develop standardisation work on AI, Sen and Senelec have established a new technical committee. It brings together experts to lead and implement recommendations in Sen and Senelec's roadmap on AI, developed in response to the European Commission's white paper on AI. Through their joint efforts, Sen Senelec and the French standards body AFNOR are looking to support the French presidency of the Council of the European Union in its work towards a future European regulation of the sector. And in particular, when it comes to collaboration and exchanges on AI with other regions of the world, such as China and the US. And that's the Standards Desk of News. My favourite standard. Hello, my name is Amanda Woodhead. I've been working for BSI for two years as a client manager, which essentially is an auditor, but with added benefits of me looking after my clients. My favourite standard is ISO 27001, which I also assess. My background is in IT and information security. So I started my career back in 1995 when the age of computing was taking off, where Windows 3.1 was standard where I was working. And it was almost like making way for what seemed the radical Windows 95. Back then, office computing was simple. Either it was standalone machines or networked on Ethernet. Connecting to the very young internet involved the use of a telephone line and using dial-up modems which were very screechy and full of lots of lovely tones and very early browsers like I don't know if any of you remember Netscape and the very infantile at that time Internet Explorer. During the latter part of the 90s I managed and edited the first website for the county council where I worked this was revolutionary. It unlocked the potential as a source of information and with more and more people becoming connected onto the internet, created a really good sound base for information. So in a way, it's, it now seems astonishing that there was actually life before the internet, before apps and smartphones. The more we've been com- become connected, the more information we hold and transfer as companies. Our reliance on it now is the norm, and we find it difficult to function without it. Over the years, I've seen the rise of threats and attacks to information security. These threats now come in many different forms. Some of the most common threats today are software attacks, theft of intellectual property, theft of identity, theft of equipment or information, sabotage, information extortion. Most people, unfortunately, have experienced some form of software attack. These could be viruses, worms, phishing attacks, Trojan horses. These are a few common examples. Theft of information has also been an extensive issue for many businesses in the information technology field. Examples being identity theft through social engineering, theft of intellectual property and theft of equipment. As an assessor, working with this standard over the past two years has really helped me understand how everything 
is linked within it, a bit like a golden thread weaving its way through and pulling it all together. It's helped me to understand the importance of information security and the versatility, how many industries this standard can be applied to. With so many iterations of ISMS frameworks I see, every day is a learning opportunity. It's incredible and they all ultimately achieve the same aim, keeping information safe and secure. Do you want to know more about the role and purpose of standards in the modern world? Then BSI's free online course, The Power of Standards, is for you. Through its three modules, you'll learn about what standards are, why organizations use them, how they are made, and how and why people get involved in standards making. The course is designed to last around 30 minutes, but you don't need to complete it all at once. You can stop at any point and restart again later when you're ready. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Now, at the end of the first part of our conversation with Ben Sheridan, he'd spoken about how some standards are supporting digital manufacturing, such as PAS 1040. In this second part, I started by asking about some of the sectors where these standards are being applied, which, by lovely coincidence, was the subject of Amanda's My Favourite Standard. The best success, really, is around cybersecurity. I think BSI's got a really good suite of cybersecurity standards, um, which, when implemented, really give the user, they don't have to be manufactured, they can be uh, from any sector, really good good strength uh, and confidence that the systems won't be breached um, and that it also gives extra confidence and trust in the system and enables them to invest uh, with confidence. Ben, the point you made about, you know, the role of standards in building trust in digital technology is really music to my ears. Um, that's something I'm actually working on, um, focused on developing countries, which brings us neatly to my next question. Um, it is well known that there is a digital divide in um, manufacturing between the developed and developing countries. Could you tell us whether it's diverging or converging? Um, does manufacturing really offer opportunities for the developing countries to transform their economies at pace? Um, I would say, of course, it does. Mm -hmm. um, we've got some really good insights from what happened with the rollout of mobile technologies in developing countries. Um, they were very enthusiastic adopters of mobile technologies uh, as consumers and entrepreneurs. Um, they didn't rely on investment in landlines and things like that. They didn't wait for those to happen. They just went straight into mobile. And that was really quite an interesting eye-opener into how digital can help these uh, these kind of areas. Um, now, if we also look at how the, the kind of things that digital does, um, Amazon's a good example of what you can do with um, a more digitalized uh, setup. I bought some uh, bathroom fittings uh, yesterday, um, which I didn't go to B&Q for. I just went onto Amazon and I got it from, so I've got no idea where I brought it from. It was probably from somewhere a bit more local. And it's probably from someone I wouldn't normally interact with. So um, what you get in a more digitalized supply chain is uh, more diversity, you get um, more redundancy in the system, more, but redundancy that you can then use. Um, so I would say that um, developing countries 
could well see a resurgence or a growth in in manufacturing um in at a small scale you might have some very small distributed set of manufacturers who can respond to local needs and be connected through these clever digital capabilities and be part of supply chains that aren't really supply chains that are more supply networks mm-hmm. um and i would say that that is probably quite an interesting future for developing countries um in developed countries you're not necessarily going to see uh, a massive growth in things like uh, new aircraft manufacturers or new car manufacturers. But you might get um, is, is the growth of these uh, what I call industrial products and services sector mm-hmm. companies in those in that sector. That is people who supply digital solutions and other solutions uh, into manufacturers and they could be from anywhere in the world. So um, I think you, you you will see the the growth of that sector uh, globally in both developed and uh, underdeveloped countries, um, but you will also see the the rise of smaller, more distributed manufacturers in the underdeveloped countries. So, what Ben? What's next for digital manufacturing and standards? I think we're on the cusp of something really interesting, which I've touched on um, in the previous uh, discussion, and that is this idea of digital technologies enabling the feedback more feedback between the use phase and the design phase um, that will be really great for um, creating aircraft and uh, cars and any other big engineered assets to reduce the co2 um, output over their lifetime by learning through experience that's what the digital technologies will enable now we've got really big challenges uh, to achieve that not least regulatory uh, because the regulatory system as such does not allow you to change the design of your asset throughout its life cycle um, so um, that is a, an enormous challenge but if we can unlock that if we can really uh, enable uh, these companies and the collaborators uh, to, to use digital technology in these ways, we're going to see massive differences uh, over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, it'll be a, a period of really strong uh, disruptive innovation. We've had a lot of incremental innovation over the last 40 years or so. The next 20 years is likely to be about more disruptive innovation. And what direction it's going to go in? What will the solutions look like? We don't know yet. And that's quite an exciting time. I mean, that does sound very exciting, Ben. I'm just thinking of sort of what, what standards were required to help that? Well, it goes back to trust, you see. So how will we enable manufacturers to share data and collaborate with each other in ways that they don't currently do? That's what standards will need to do. We'll need to create things like data trusts frameworks so these companies can enter into agreements with each other. Um, we also need the technical solutions to enable them Uh, to only share the data that they're happy to share with and and we also need um, to understand the new business models that will underpin the ways that these data data trust frameworks will work on and the standards will describe that world. Do you want to help make people's lives easier, safer and more enjoyable? If so, why not become a standards maker with BSI and have your say on the development of standards? Standards affect all of us every day, wherever we go, whatever we do. 
by defining good practice, they help people, organizations, the economy, and society to do things better. We welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds, and career stages. Our goal is to have a balance of views around the table. If you want to make a difference and shape the world through standards, start your standards making journey now by visiting bsigroup.com forward slash get involved. Now, Cindy, there was a moment early on in the first part of our chat with Ben Sheridan when I thought you were going to jump in and tell us all about the definition of Industry 4.0 in German. Yeah, that's true. I was. (laughs) Well, now you have a chance to make amends. All right, here we go. Industrie 4.0 ist eine nationale strategische Initiative der deutschen Bundesregierung. Das Ziel ist es, die digitale Fertigung durch die zunehmende Digitalisierung und die Vernetzung von Produkten, Wertschöpfungsketten und Geschäftsmodellen voranzutreiben. Es soll auch die Forschung, die Vernetzung von Industriepartnern und die Standardisierung unterstützen. That sounded absolutely amazing, but my German is somewhere between non-existent and a tad rusty. So for our non-German speaking listeners, what was that? (laughs) Absolutely. So Industry 4.0 is a national strategic initiative from the German government. It aims to drive digital manufacturing forward by increasing digitalization and the interconnection of products, value chains and business models. It also aims to support research, the networking of industry partners and standardization. Wunderbar. Now, Ben asked me to go and look up cobots in Star Wars, so I did. Now, it seems the simplest way to understand how cobots differ from industrial robots is that in the workplace, cobots are designed to work alongside human employees, while industrial robots do work in place of those employees. So, in Star Wars, the MSE 6 Series Repair Droid, sometimes referred to as the Mouse Droid that Ben mentioned, now they were used for delivery and maintenance. Most notably on Star Destroyers and both Death Stars during the time of the Galactic Empire. So now you know. Um, Ben also talked about how new technologies are helping developing countries to address pressing challenges, um, for example, such as access to financial services or healthcare. So in Africa, particularly Kenya, Nigeria and South Africa, mobile banking has transformed the financial systems and has brought banking and financial services to a large unbanked population, so thereby fostering financial inclusion. So basically for the developing world, new technologies like this or even telehealth care has helped them leapfrog certain stages of development and progress more quickly. And finally, uh, we should say that uh, I like the way that Ben inadvertently launched a new feature for us, standard shout outs. I like that too. (laughs) So if you'd like to do a standard shout out, then get in touch. All the details on how to do so are in the show notes. Well, that's the show. Our thanks to Ben Sheridan for speaking to us for this episode and Amanda Woodhead for sharing her My Favourite Standard. And of course, to you for listening. To find out more about digital manufacturing and standards, visit bsigroup.com and search Digital Manufacturing. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts.
You just heard a stripped media production. 